You're listening to the Sasquatch Trail Runners Podcast, where every run is a trail party. I'm your host, Kim Levinsky, and today's episode is a recording from our Facebook Live interview on Thursday, August 18th, 2022. I sat down with ultra runner Helgi Olafsson and heard about his inspiring life story and how he uses trail and ultra running to make a positive impact. Helgi is the mastermind behind the upcoming event, the Mighty Gallatin Big Sky 350 out in Montana. Helgi shares the backstory of the Mighty Gallatin and details about the many logistics and planning that are going into this event. So sit back and relax or go out and hit the trails and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Sasquatch Trail Runners Run Venture Facebook Live series. Uh, tonight, I am joined by my friend Helgi Olafsson. We're going to be chatting all things ultra running, 200 miles, beyond 200 miles, specifically focusing on the mighty Gallatin Big Sky 350 that's coming up in a couple of weeks out in Montana. Uh, but before we start the interview, I'm going to share a little bit about what's going on with Sasquatch Trail Runners. We have had a really fun summer, lots of trail parties going on. Uh, we just had our Thunder Chicken Squatch uh, race a couple weeks ago, and now we're gearing up for the Backyard Squatch. So we're headed out to Soak State Forest in the western corner of New Jersey for this event. And last year, the winner completed 36 hours and 150 miles. So we're excited to see what uh, 2022 is going to bring. And uh, we're excited to get out there. We've got double the amount of registration. So uh, we've only got about 20 spots left. So if you want to join, uh, go on ultrasignup.com and click that. And then the other thing I want to mention is our newest race that's coming to the series. It's the Squatchyanda Trail Festival. And this has been in the works for uh, a couple of years. And it's still one year out for what the ultimate goal is. Next year, we're going to be adding a 100 miler, which is the first for Sasquad. Very exciting. Uh, but this year, we're building up. That is the last Saturday in September. This is at Weiweyanda State Park. And we've got a 50 mile event, a marathon, and then a 25K. So uh, very generous cutoffs. This is definitely newbie friendly. So we want uh, first time ultra runners to come out. We want families to come out. And then mark your calendars for next year. We're adding that 100 miler. It's going to have, again, generous cutoffs because we want to see a lot of first time 100 mile finishers at that trail party. So um, you can find out about the rest of our events for 2022 and 2023. Our calendar is in the works. It's on our website, uh, sasquadtrailrunning.com. We're also revamping the website this week. So you're going to slowly see New pages updated. We're creating race manuals for each event as, long, as well, well as the course maps and the GPX files, which we're very excited about that. So anyway, sasquatrailrunning.com. So now the reason you're all here, Helgi Olsen is on the screen with me and we're gonna be diving into some really fun stuff. Personally, I'm very excited about this because I feel like I'm gonna learn a whole ton about Helgi and then also about the big sky that's happening in a few weeks here. So. Helgi, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hey, thanks for having me, Kim. It's uh, interesting to hear more about uh, the events that you do there in your intro. Um, sounds like a pretty fun party. It's always a trail. That's our motto. Every run is a trail party. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So cool. All right. Well, we love to start out with just hearing uh, each guest's running story. So why don't you fill us in? You can, you know, go into as much or as little detail as you want on how you got into this wacky world of trail and ultra running. Uh, sure. 
thank you. Um, I I think that it's it kind of just is was a happenstance for me, um, and it, obviously it it just got bigger and bigger as I've gone through it. But I feel like the 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 first time that I hit the trails, I was hooked. Uh, the journey to getting to the trails was a little bit longer than that uh, and started um, when I was in my late 20s. I'm 39 now. So 10 years ago, uh, I started doing Ironmans and marathons and things like that. And I didn't quite like the, I guess, uh, it seemed like it was all about the equipment and, uh, you know, the shaved legs and things like that. And it was just like, not really my style. Um, I, I enjoyed the, the competition and it was definitely challenging uh, to be out there all day, but it just wasn't enough for me. And as soon as I hit the trails, I, I realized that that's where I wanted to be. And, um, you know, I've heard stories of from other trail runners of doing a hundred K and a hundred miler. And I was just thinking that these things were, just seemed like they were, you know, far, but potential, potentially able to reach those, those goals. So I, I wanted to see if I could do it. And, uh, and then, you know, the rest is kind of history, just uh, going through and starting at a hundred K Bigfoot, hundred K um, did that two years in a row. And, um, and then going from that to Moab 240, uh, which I've done four times now. Um, really fun race beautiful experience every time it seems to always get harder <laughs> that's that's the next one on your list i'm sure or yeah, maybe right. bigfoot yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah i you know i i also uh, a big part about why i run is because i have an autoimmune arthritis called ankylosing spondylitis and um it's basically if i don't do anything it, it'll take control of my body and my joints kind of start fusing together and it's just way better to keep moving um there's so many reasons why obviously it, it makes me happy um it keeps me fit uh and it makes me pretty much ready to take on anything that comes in my way uh so i just i, I really owe a lot to trail running and especially the community of people surrounding it uh, because it, we're only as good as uh, the people around us and I feel like the experiences that I've had out on trail especially in these longer distance events and adventures uh, are just not found in other uh, arenas. Totally so tell us how many 200 mile finishes do you have under your belt can you can you fill a complete belt loop with all the belt buckles that you have um probably actually i i would never do that so i'm not sure <laughs> but um <laughs> i do i do remember the somebody who had one of those um, no way i'm really? not going to mention any names but yeah I, I i do remember that i was like dude why do you have that oh man um but yeah i i think i could um and it's uh the number is 10 but if you would count my double I'm tough that I did last year, yeah. then it would be um, 11. I mean, that's got to count. I think so. I mean, yeah. it was 
I did the first loop under the race cutoff and the second loop under the 200 cutoff. So I'm pretty sure yeah. that I was, that it counts. Absolutely. <laughs> and it was way harder. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of the toughest choices you could have made to get that 200 miler done last summer. Yeah, it was, it was, I think it was about 48,000 feet of gain. Oh my goodness. But it was fun. It was it was great. It was it was an interesting experience going and doing the course with everybody, keeping a little bit higher pace than I normally used to, and then um, you know being able to slow down and do my thing on the second loop. Right, right. Can we talk about that for a second? About what you did last summer? I'd love for you to share. It's just mind-boggling to even put into words what you what you accomplished last summer with the triple crown. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it took uh, a few years to plan, um, and the idea was born um, on Porcupine Rim in Moab 240, finishing my first Triple Crown in 2018. Um, and I just, you know, the obvious thing that we do is, well, what are we going to do that's harder than this? Right. <laughs> so uh, I I just was thinking to myself while I was basically crying because I was finishing the triple crown of 200s and I was thinking what can I do that is harder and uh you know gonna keep this momentum going and so um because I raise awareness for the ankylosing spondylitis that I have is like is the main thing that it's one of the things I do with my ultra running and these projects that I do um so I always try to find creative ideas to, um, you know, bring people together, inspire other people who have my condition to get out there and, and challenge themselves. And so that's why I do these crazy events. Just had to throw that in there. Um, but I was thinking of the time that um, Bigfoot starts and the time that Tahoe started, it, it, they changed it because it used to be um, after Bigfoot, but now this year it was before because of the wildfires. But basically I was lining up where they were and where they were in the country. And um, I, I was thinking to myself, I bet you I could connect these things and make it to the next race before it starts. And um, so I, I set up a, a course. I basically used Gaia and Caltopo and put together a course, put checkpoints together, you know, made a whole bunch of different uh, documents for drivers, for crew, for just, it, I needed a lot of support to be able to do it. And um, it was supposed to originally happen in 2020, but because of COVID, obviously it wasn't the time to be pulling resources from people to, you know, do a project that was not really necessary. Um, so it moved to 2021, gave me an extra year to train and prepare financially as well as logistically um, and kind of just, you know, get everything ready. And so I was on my way out there, um, in the truck that I kind of built for the, to support me. It's, it's my, um, daily driver as well, but, uh, I built it into like an overlanding vehicle that could support me. And so I'm in Montana, actually, this is funny. I don't think you know this No. in, in Montana, doing my final training run on the way to Bigfoot and it was uh, an 80 mile uh, loop which includes uh, some of our day six and some of our day one and some of our day two and so (laughs) 
basically i i went i was like 30 miles into this run and coming down to get uh, a refill a resupply from one of my buddies who was waiting at the lava lake trailhead and about a mile before that i was running down this uh, road there this trail rather and it, there's a ton of rocks on that one um and just did a flying superman like i clipped a rock did a flying superman and my uh forearm right here i had a sleeve on but i smashed it into a boulder and so it did, it did like a compression wound it like split open but it was underneath that uh compression sleeve so oh. it it stayed helped it stay together i i put it in water and it was like red water all of a sudden so i knew it was messed oh. up. but so i thought that my arm was bad you know and and i was like i need to go get stitches so i pulled out uh with my buddy and go get the stitches and then like went camping and then i i decided that because my foot was also hurting, but I was like, eh, whatever. And so then I decided not to run anymore. And I cycled a couple more times before the race. Then Bigfoot starts <laughs> and my foot is like numb by mile 20. Oh boy. And like, and, and you're going through the blast zone with all kinds of boulders and stuff and obviously kicking rocks. And so I just like used it uh, kind of to my advantage to mentally block out what was going on. And I, I don't know how I was able to do it, but that pain helped me with other pain. And I, and then I would switch it back and forth and be able to get through. It was a hard race. That's insane. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, so anyways, long story short, I, I, I switched to cycling in between the races because of that. Um, and, after uh, Bigfoot, I was in Oregon kind of on the way down and I didn't know if I was going to run or cycle, uh, but I went to a doctor and got confirmation that I had a broken toe. Um, and also, it I didn't find this out until later and it may not have um, happened until later because I did continue to run the next, you know, the second 200 and the third 200 uh, on that foot. and so um you know by the by moab to 40 mile 70 uh my foot was sideways and you know oh but i was still God. trying to go anyway it <laughs> like there's a tendon it's like under here and it snapped <laughs> under there so i had to get a couple oh. screws and and a new tendon in my toe and a pretty cool scar uh but the test was cocodona 250 this year and i i passed so I feel like it, it was a successful surgery. Wow. I mean, it kind of reminds me of uh, the, the Monty Python movie with the Black Knight who's like lost all his limbs. And he says, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> He's still going. Yeah, that, that's a fun show. <laughs> oh, man. That is wild, Helgi. Um, but incredible. And was your fundraiser successful for that with AS? Yeah, um, I was able to raise over $20,000 for the Spondylitis Association of America. I mean, I, I say I, but it was, you know, a bunch yeah. of different people helping. And, you know, it's really, it really just shows that there's a community of people who believe in what I'm doing. And, you know, I really appreciate that. And I feel like my place in this community is kind of as a leader. And, um, you know, I, I really like to foster the future of what I believe in. And right now, a huge thing that I believe in is getting out and connecting with Mother Nature. So this is, you know, a big deal for me. 
um it was an interesting journey though because there were that wasn't the only curveball that was thrown at me um you know obviously cars almost killing me all the time and uh just having to keep going pretty much every day it was 2,806 and 50 miles total with the races I would have to get to the next race kind of with three or four days before the race so I could be ready for the race and and um then I was on the way down to Lake Tahoe to do Tahoe 200 and I was about 60 miles from the California border and I got news that the race was um canceled yeah. through the wildfires i was on i went to the uh pacific uh ocean and went down the pacific coast highway beautiful cycling oh my god it was so nice yeah um and so then i had to make a new plan and there were fires like from bend all the way down through california it mm-hmm. my uh, crew chief and i looked at the uh smoke map on caltopo and everything was covered it wasn't like anything that had good air quality it was just like something that you could breathe in yeah <laughs> so we went up through some through bend and um i went through a jack creek fire or something like that and uh right through the burn scar right it was actually like an active fire wow um yeah it was beautiful actually um and then made it uh to idaho and because we set our sights on Boise, uh, because if we didn't know, if we didn't, if we weren't able to do I'm Tough, it was going to be just doing a 200 on my own. But um, we had a suggestion from another uh, trail runner to get in touch with the race director and see if he'd let me in. And uh, so I called Jer Humphrey and he's like, what do you want to do? <laughs> And so he said, I mean, yeah, you could try. <laughs> Nobody's ever done that for before, and I don't think you could do it. Wow. Uh, but but he gave me the rule that I had to finish his loop with, uh, you know, within his cutoff, which is fair because I'm using his aid station and stuff like that. And then um, the second loop, I, I was in my truck was right at the finish line. So we slept in the truck and took a 14 hour break. Mm. or it might have been 18 hours anyway went back out on the second loop in the opposite direction and we just had uh knowledge of where the aid stations were and so my truck went to those places um and jer the race director had just had a baby uh and brandy his wife they were both like doing this race running the race and during during the race itself he i saw him like almost at every aid station i didn't understand how he was out there so much but he was everywhere Wow. And um, and he came and actually aided me on my second loop mm. twice. Uh, That's amazing. Once the, the last night he did it uh, with like hot soup and it just it was like amazing to have these things in the craft. And he ran them up the mountain to me. Wow. Yeah. And then um, um, and then he, he ran in to finish with me and, and he left the course markings on the uh, jug handle mountain, which is this really uh you know it's it's a sketchy uh, climbing area lots of bouldering and it, so it was it was nice to have those markers and we actually my my pacer rick and i decided that we were going to take the markers back for him so 
we you actually swept the course. <laughs> we did, yeah. That's I don't know if you've seen the picture, but I've got a whole bunch of clipped markers to on my shirt. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, we did that because he came up and and eventually we're like, we're just gonna leave these things things here because we're it was close. I only finished with 15 minutes on the wow. you know, under my cutoff for the 200. So yeah. Anyway, went to do that and uh, finished the race. Great experience. And then cycled to Moab through Craters of the Moon and just some, mm. went right by the Bear 100 course and Big and Bear Lake. And, oh, it's um, beautiful there. Yeah, it's so nice. And then uh, cycled up um, to the uh, Uinta Highline Trail and tried a, a hundred miles on that. But um, it we got uh, snowed in with the weather and so I ended up doing 60 and went back to the place where I got off the bike and continued back on the bike there. It was just a little, I had a little extra time. So I wanted to. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. I, didn't, I do want to mention for folks, if, if you're not familiar with the uh, I am tough event, it's probably one of the toughest hundreds in the country, arguably. I was just on their website the other day and it's, I mean, mind boggling stats for that hundred. So to do it, twice is wild so that was a that was a massive accomplishment you had thanks thanks i appreciate that it was hard yeah were there other um i feel like I remember reading in like the tahoe 200 group there may be one or two other people who did they also do that or maybe they had just like failed on tahoe 200 and got into i am tough um, I believe that there were folks who, who just did one loop of I'm tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for instance, uh, well, I'm not sure if he was in Tahoe 200 when it got canceled, but he did it with me, um, in 2019, but Jacob Masler, okay. uh, which he was, by the way, he was just out of Bigfoot, uh, assisting Doug and Doug finished. So good job guys. Awesome. Um, uh, he was, he finished right in front of me at I'm tough on the first loop. So it was nice to have my 200 mile buddy out there. Yeah. <laughs> and we're the, we're the guys, we're the, the slowest ones in the 100, but we finished, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. It's all about the finish. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, okay. I don't want to run out of time without covering the mighty Gallatin. So I, I would love to just take a deep dive into this. I have so many questions, yo, as a race director, I am just so, I love everything that you're doing with this, the whole idea, the race format, uh, everything about it. So uh, there's probably a lot of people watching or listening who aren't familiar with this at all. So why don't we give kind of a rundown on what this event is? And then I would love to just hear like the backstory on um, how you created this and what went into making this event. Okay, um, sure. So, uh, as I mentioned, I, I did my final training for Bigfoot 200 last year in Big Sky. Um, I uh, I was working up there uh, one year. I couldn't. I have issues with my insurance because of my disease. So sometimes it's hard for me to get a job on a yacht because of insurance. And it was just one of those years where there was just nothing that fit. So I ended up going and working in Montana at a guest ranch uh, as chef de cuisine um, in the winter. 
And, and then I became a guide and naturalist in the summer. So I, I did a lot of, um, you know, winter adventures when there's a ton of snow, a lot of snowshoeing, really sketchy stuff. Um, it's big out there. And I just fell in love with it and wanted to be able to share it with people. I mean, I remember being in there in the winter and thinking, man, I can't wait till this snow melts. It's going to be great. I can run. And that's exactly what it was and more. I mean, there's wildflowers everywhere. There's elk and deer and bear and moose. I mean, it's like really a beautiful place. Um, and so I just really wanted to share it with people. And um, unfortunately, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not that simple because I tried to put something together and I just kept hitting walls and uh, that's because there's designated wilderness areas that it goes through. Um, and the reason for that, obviously, is because of the wildlife. They need to be able to keep that space wild so that we still have wildlife, um, especially because there's so many other spaces that humans have essentially ruined. But uh, so anyways, uh, there, there's a there. Obviously, these places have a ton of trails, and like that's that's one of the reasons why it it makes sense and it works is because this course is, you know, it's pretty much there's only thirty miles of thirty forty miles of roads, and maybe three of those miles are paved miles. The rest mm -hmm. of it is jeep roads, and then everything else is single track. So it's it's just. Um, it has all of the things that you would need to be able to uh, put an event on, but it's unfortunately the group size can only be 15 people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've got to take lemons and make lemonade. Yeah. And so that's what I did. And it's, it's really just being able to embrace that 15 person limit that makes this whole thing possible and kind of makes it special, if you will. Like everybody who is going to tow that line knows that they're there for a reason and that they have like people that are supporting them and watching them and, you know, hoping that they're going to do good and, and things like that and, and uh, or have a safe journey. And, and I think that it's not about us, essentially. It's about our communities and how we can, um, you know, show people that uh, they can be a part of our adventure. And that's that's why I really like it uh, because we're able to share the experience with, with other people. Um, but so yeah, so the 15 person limit uh, was there. And also there's, we wanted to create a documentary as well uh, because that can really help share the the experience with people which is which is really what the goal is and the documentary is focused kind of on being able to um show that we can do these things without leaving a carbon footprint mm. uh you know like everybody in camp is bringing their own utensils to eat with and plates to eat with uh they bring in a cup to use at the aid stations trying to mitigate the trash, all that stuff, and obviously packing everything out that we bring in. Mm -hmm. uh, so, th so that's uh, one of the angles. But the other angle is that everybody who's starting this event is not someone who is like super fast. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're people who 
spend the time out there. We get our money's worth at these races because we're out there struggling and we're, you know, making a plan and realizing what we can and can't do. We're setting our own limits and then we're resetting our limits because we realize that we can do more than that mm. um, or, or the other way around. But uh, it's, I think that it's like the everyday man that, that we have out there, man and woman, obviously. And um, it's an experience that is is going to really uh, bring people together. I, I'm very excited about our uh, roster of people. I know most of most everyone personally. I've personally interviewed everyone as well too, just to make sure that they they understand what they're getting into. You know, like I spoke with you for about an hour mm. before. You know, I was like, yeah, okay, you can do it. <laughs> I'm glad I passed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you have to have what it takes. You have to want it. You know what I mean? It's it's not this this is not this course is not designed to be easy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's going to be very hard. Day 1 is 62 miles and we have to be essentially done by 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I mean that's that's a later thing. It should be less than that. Um, so we've got to move on day one, and then it should get easier, but it's not going to get easier because it always gets harder. Mm. Do you want to talk a little bit about the course and um, you know the areas we're going to be on, what the trails are like, uh, maybe some stats on mileage each day and uh, elevation and all that? Be kind of cool. Okay. Um, I printed up a spreadsheet, but you can't see anything. It's so small. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So um, day one is 61.79 miles with 12,848 feet of gain, 13,061 feet of loss. That's a really tough day. Um, the Let's see, the, the full... On on this spreadsheet, and Caltopo is obviously not exact. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the spreadsheet, I've got uh, eighty one thousand six hundred fifty one feet of gain, and eighty three thousand seven hundred eighteen feet of loss. Now that right there just goes to show you that it's not correct because those two numbers should match. Mm. Because even though it is uh, a long course, it goes all over the place. It's essentially a loop because you come back to where you started. Okay. So those two numbers should always be the same. If you look at the course um, on the on the full route uh, GPX on the Caltopo, it shows around 77, 78, and that's more like what it is. Okay. So, so it should be a little bit easier for you. Compared yeah, to what, what's on there. <laughs> yeah. So just think that it's the bigger numbers and then you'll be pleasantly surprised, you know? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so 346.8 miles total. Uh, day one is 62. Day two is 48.43 um, with 10,800 feet and then 10,100 feet of loss. So that's a little bit easier of a day after doing a a really tough day. Um, But the way that I have it set up is um, in order to keep our runners off the trails at night as much as possible, the last aid station for each day has a cutoff. 
-hmm. And uh, so it's going to be interesting because it, it means that the runners are going to have to push harder during the day to right. get to that cutoff. And then once they pass that cutoff, they can slow down and come in a little bit later. Um, let's see, day three, uh, 46.8 miles uh, with 10,900 feet of gain, 10,900 feet of loss. Uh, a little bit easier again. Uh, and then it actually the, the following day is uh, our really, really sweet, uh, we're going to be in this highlight porcupine buffalo horn wilderness area and, and the highlight lake and highlight peak is really nice granite. Uh, they do a lot of um, ice climbing there in the winter. And so there's all kinds of animals. There's big herds of elk up on this um, Gallatin Crest Trail, which mm. we, don't, we on day four, we go from Hood Creek Campground the Tom Minor campground. And that's where we go up through this highlight area and end up uh, going on the Gallatin Crest. But then we jump off of the Gallatin Crest into the Paradise Valley, which Paradise Valley is the valley of the Yellowstone River. Mm. So we, originally the course was going to go right by the Yellowstone River, but then there were some floods that happened in June and it, it tore away the bridge to the campground. So I changed it and I'm way, it's, it's way better with the new course because we get to be more on trail. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I, this, the trail, the course is, uh, is very, very nice. Uh, the, the Gallatin Crest Trail is probably going to be the most scenic because you'll see the Paradise Valley on one side and Gallatin River Valley on the other side. Mm. Just peaks, peaks for days, for miles and miles. How about uh, wildlife? Are we going to see any wildlife out there? I mean, if I had a crystal ball, I could tell you. <laughs> but yes, for sure, you'll see some wildlife. I, I just don't know what. I have personally seen wolves, bears, black and brown, uh, wolverines. I've seen a wolverine. Um, I've seen tons of uh, marmot and smaller you know rodents and stuff there's deer there's elk there's moose um lots of porcupines uh you know it, it's it's the rocky mountains i mean they, there's there's everything that you can think of tons of birds little hummingbirds will just come up and like fly into your face and stuff uh you know the, there's the trails are i would say the trails are pretty buttery mm -hmm. um they're nice trails, but they're also rugged in places. Like there's places where you're scrambling up some rocks. Uh, there's there's rooted places. Uh, there's places where the, the trail isn't really a trail, but you have to follow some cairns. Okay. Yeah. So that's why that GPX track is really important. And um, that, uh, that's, it's obviously putting markers up would, Number one, it wouldn't fly with the Forest Service. Number two, it would go against the leaving a less of a carbon footprint approach. So I, I think that everyone who we have starting is uh, graduate enough to be able to uh, use their resources to navigate. So, right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you think um, the people want to know, are we going to see Sasquatch out there? Well, I mean, I heard Justin True is going to be there, so. Okay, so we will. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. 
Maybe if he takes his shirt off or something. I don't know. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Um, can we chat about the support team that's coming out? Because, you know, with Sasquad, we love, I mean, the we call it the volunteer dream team. That's what makes the trail magic happen. Um, and I know, you know, you've handpicked the individuals that are coming out. Do you want to talk about that? The support team that's going to be there? Sure, sure. Um, so very thankful to have Brian Wilford along with us. Uh, he's the medical director for the uh, Destination Trail. And, you know, he leads all the medical teams at the Triple Crown of 200s. Um, I don't think he does any of the smaller races for Destination Trail. He only does the 200s, but still, I, I, I met him, you know, while racing and he's always been very helpful and been able to get me back out there. And that goes to show also that his team is the same way. So mm -hmm. we have another member uh, of, of his team who does, who's one of the medics at these races, uh, Nicole Whiting. Yeah. And she she's also just always super positive you know she really knows what she's doing and really excited to have uh the two of them out there and and then also um todd and tanya uh evans are friends of mine that i met uh, at my first moab 240 when i when i finished i didn't have anybody there i was there by myself and they like drove me to go get a shower and I didn't even know him. So, but we've been yeah. friends ever since. And yeah, it's always fun to watch uh, Todd and Tanya uh, kind of bicker with, at each other, you know. <laughs> uh, but she's good. They they've been doing like the finish line food um, and uh, headquarters food for the two hundreds. I don't think they did Bigfoot this year because they were doing some other stuff. Um, but they've always been super helpful uh, with that, and they've gotten. Um, pretty good actually uh it's it's nice because i always go and check out their setup because i'm a professional chef so you know i, I want to make sure they they know what they're doing or if i can give them any pointers or whatever and they're they've got it on lock those guys um so she'll bring uh the they have a sprinter van that they've got built out um and so they'll basically bring the kitchen setup that we'll set up a camp and uh, she's going to be in charge of the food. She'll have a few other volunteers helping her. Um, one of them is uh, Tim, uh, Tim Satry's fiance, Emma. Mm. And uh, then Teresa, Brian's wife, will be also helping with, uh, with the food. And then we've got a few other people coming in and out. Um, and then you have your, your friend, Dougie, who's... Yep. Uh, helped Matt Klein at the Triple Crown with his feed and with just being a good crew member and pacing and all kinds of stuff. So he's going to be out there. Um, I'm putting him in charge of drop bags and he's going to be at every aid station. Awesome. Um, yeah. And then uh, what else? We've got uh, my girlfriend, Samantha's coming and she is super knowledgeable with, uh, you know, social media and doing that kind of stuff. So she's going to be in charge of of that uh side of everything and uh also emma uh is is really in she's in brand marketing and stuff like that too so we've got a good team there and then um as far as uh the aid station the aid station will be driven by samantha and nicole 
uh, and it will go. It's it's basically an overlanding jeep that has a kitchen set up in it and a rooftop tent. So if anybody needs to sleep at an aid station, they can do that. But um, for the most part, we don't want people sleeping at the aid stations because we want them to get out of there and get on the get back on the trail. Uh, as far as other volunteers, let me see. Um, actually, I have all this stuff written down, don't I? This is yeah. I think I gave you all the names. Yeah, it's on it's on the roster. I think in the the race manual. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't have that on me. That's all right. That's all right. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Jason Dorfman. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I gave you all the volunteers. Oh, and then uh, Sarah uh, Riordan. She she actually lives in Montana, and she's been super helpful with a lot of things. Um, she's receiving some of the packages uh, for the you know packaged foods and things like that that I've sent to her early. Uh, she's having a, a party for us, uh, all of us on the Saturday before we start, so we don't have to cook, and that's mm -hmm. going to be great. And then also she's uh, bringing in some people from her work and her family to help volunteer. Uh, that'll be much needed. And uh, also the, the Windy Pass aid station, which is up on the Gallatin Crest Trail, is like a, it's a two-mile hike in from the Portal yeah. Creek Trail. And so she's going to have her um, her colleagues and who are former search and rescue go up there wow. uh, and kind of man that aid station for us. That's awesome. Yeah, so it makes it so that since we don't have to drive three and a half hours around to get to it at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that'd be rough. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wouldn't have to do it. Someone, one of the volunteers would have yeah. to do it. <laughs> Or else no one would get any aid. But right. that's that's the thing. I mean, it's it's set up to where like I think the biggest section that we have without aid is about 27 miles. Yeah. And then the smallest section is about 3.5 miles. Mm -hmm. So they're they're kind of all across the board, but it's it's just because that's just the only possible places where we can have aid. Right. We, can, we have to have aid at trailheads um or on roads that kind of stuff the, the only one we're, that we have in the uh highlight porcupine buffalo buffalo horn wilderness area is that windy pass hike in aid station awesome well this is so exciting um i gotta ask we got about 10 minutes left or so what is we've already chatted about this but it'd be cool to put it on the podcast what is your vision for this Helgi? in terms of you know, what you want to see happen this year with the 350, but then also looking ahead to maybe next year. Is this going to happen again? You got other ideas? And if it's on the DL, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to share it, but whatever you're comfortable sharing, uh, would love to hear what you're thinking. Yeah, um, I mean, let me just start by saying that it's, right now it's a young idea. And um, we need to see how everything pans out for this year uh, before really, you know, making too many claims and stuff like that. I mean, I, I really want to do something regarding uh, race directing and putting together adventures and experiences for people. I'm, I'm not sure if that um, 
means actually doing actual races where you know I collect an entry fee and things like that or if maybe it would be something that would be like a destination race or a destination running camp Mm. Uh, you know something that's more of an experience Um, like I'm I really want to do epic epic things with uh, what I'm doing like there's there's something I'm looking at over in um, the Caucasus Mountains in the country of Georgia which is former Soviet Union uh it's a 250 mile route that i've been looking at it's in the very early stages so we'll see if it even comes to fruition if nothing else i would like to go out there with some folks and maybe do this adventure Mm. and i definitely think it's possible um it's 250 miles with 75,000 feet of gain (laughs) so that's a lot that's a lot yeah, but I think it would be like a eight or nine day or maybe seven or eight, eight or nine. I don't know exactly. I have to look at it more closely, but the climbs are a little bit stronger than what we have at Mighty Gallatin. So that's one side of it is the adventure side. You know, I want to have uh, bring more people together, things like that. But also, I really see a need for um, building more of this virtual experience and I I feel like in a few years we're gonna have a little Starlink chip or something that's in our cell phone, and everyone will always be connected no matter where they are, even if it's in the mountains. And that's been a big reason why, you know, ultra running hasn't really been a spectator sport. Sure. Um, you know, you've seen in the past year the live streams at the Aravipa, the Coconut 250 right. this year was really good. Um, Scott Rokas put together a live feed for the Broken Arrow race by actually laying cable throughout the course mm. uh, last year. And it's just like, there's little things that are happening that are being, it's it's easier to watch your loved ones out there. And and I think that like the, the track leaders obviously is is a huge player in that for being able to watch your dots on the map. We yeah. have a track leaders map, by the way. Don't worry, everybody. You can watch our dots for seven days if you really want to. You get the popcorn out, you know. Yeah. Because um, you'll be there for a while. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it, it's. I feel like if you could just imagine having uh, an app on your phone that you basically you you look at it, you check in. Uh, you've got three other buddies that are going for runs or something that you're friends with on this app. And, you know, you can see what they're doing, where they are. They can do a little check-in video. You can actually ring them up live and then you're running and they're running, but you're talking to each Mm -hmm. other. That's kind of where the technology side of it is. I think that there's, there's a lot of potential there. I hope no one steals my idea, but, um, I think that that with what we're trying to do with Mighty Gallatin is like be able to share the experience enough so that people stay interested and, and want to be involved and maybe even want to go out there and, and do this adventure on their own. Obviously not as a huge, large group and, you know, doing leaving less of a carbon footprint kind of like we are. Yeah. Uh, but also I, I just... I feel that there's there's a need for this kind of uh, adventure, and 
it could also be put into another ecosystem. This is potential. This is in the um, Greater Yellowstone ecosystem, which is right around Yellowstone National Park. Uh, that's what that area that we're in is is called. And there's other potential places that are protected areas that maybe you know people think that they they wouldn't be able to do a big adventure like this. Yeah. But if you can keep the group size down, you might be able to go and and do these things, uh, especially if you're organized and you you know you have all your ducks in a row. You can prove to the Forest Service that you're not going to wreck the area, mm. and you know you have a reputation, that kind of stuff. So I think that there's definitely room for growth in in this uh, uh, arena of virtual racing in so many ways. Uh, obviously, it's easy to make money um, if you can have a virtual option of a race where people just click a button, you send them a shirt, they go and do their own thing. That's, I mean, obviously, there's more to it than that. There's, you know, a lot of communication and, and it's, it's time for people to manage those things. But it's the overhead is a lot less on a virtual race. But if you can make it a real experience of a virtual race, like something that people don't care that they're signing up virtually, they're like, I want to sign up virtually because everyone else is doing it virtually. And that's, and I want to, I want to share this experience because the people that are out there are basically like, we're their support as the virtual runners, but there's like these 15 people that are out there you know, toughen it out and mm. we're out, we're back here toughening it out. So they're going to know that we're toughening it out and we're going to know that they're toughening it out. Right. I just think there's a lot of like people come together for these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. I, I was thinking today I was driving home from a trail run that, you know, I, I talk with runners all the time who will say, uh, you know, it's often when I get back from traveling somewhere and I've gone out and run they'll say, you know, oh, I wish I could go out and do something like that. Like there's a group of people, a small group who would go out. It'd be so fun to do something like that. And a lot of times it's women who are saying that. And, you know, for various reasons, um, I don't know. I just think it's a, it's a really interesting concept that I hope is a sustainable model because I just love the whole run venture style that you're putting on. And especially, you know, what you, you touched on earlier is that small group setting. It really fosters so much community as opposed to maybe like hundreds of runners at a big race. You know, this is going to be a pretty intimate setting where with community that's really going to foster over that week. I agree. Um, you know, I think something that's interesting and we'll see how it plays out, but I think that the the rule that I have for um, people staying in pairs, yeah, I think that's that's gonna be interesting to watch because I feel like there's some people that are gonna want to stay in pairs even though they shouldn't be. Mm. and and then I also see that there might be a, a time when somebody is, having a bad time and having a hard time moving forward, but the other person isn't, but you know, they're not gonna leave that person who's having a hard time. So mm -hmm. I feel like it's it's really gonna um, make or break people basically. Mm. And and I, I hope that the people that we have uh, that are gonna be out there are able to take that and like push and and get through it but obviously making the right decision is always the right decision 
Um, but I think people are really going to see what they're capable of um, in a couple weeks out there in Big Sky. Yeah, well, that's the beauty of these things, right? It's every everything kind of comes out. It's like squeezing the uh, toothpaste bottle. <laughs> you know what I mean? The very last bit of it. <laughs> yeah, just really getting it Hold out it of the tube. You, know, <laughs> you got to take a knife and like drag it along. <laughs> yeah, amazing, amazing. All right. Well, before we uh, cut off here, tell people how they can follow along with Mighty Gallatin. What kind of, uh, what should they be expecting in terms of social media coverage and all that? So how can people stay connected uh, through this event? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I'd say leading up to the event, definitely follow Kim's channels because she's posting a lot more than I am, I think, but uh, <laughs> which is great. I, I love it. It's free content. Um, awesome. But as far as the event goes, we do have a website. It is mightygallatin.com. That's mightygallatin.com, M-I-G-H-T-Y-G-A-L-L-A-T-I-N. Um, and we also have an uh, Instagram page, which is at symbol underscore the mighty gallatin. Mm -hmm. And so we'll be uh, going live on there whenever we can. Um, it, it's going to be tough to go live on the trail, uh, but we'll have um, Starlink in camp. So we'll be able to um, upload uh, on a daily basis. And we have one person who is basically that's what all they're doing. Mm. So uh, we will be keeping everything posted. Uh, the, the footage from the runners will be collected when they get to each aid station via an airdrop. And so we'll be able to really uh, keep uh, keep the story going for everyone so they can see how everybody's doing uh, while we're out there. And when you go to the website, there's uh, also a live tracking map, uh, track leaders, uh, just like Bigfoot 200 or Cocodona 250 or any of those, you can watch the dots on there. Um, it says what route mile people are at, what aid station. Um, only thing is, is that we'll be stopping at the end of each day. So that's that's a normal thing for people to look out for and expect right um and as far as just uh just watching watching that story unfold and then uh being ready for uh sometime in the fall uh potentially uh early 2023 is when the documentary should be coming out mm. so that'll be another great way to uh to watch the story unfold Awesome. That's going to be so great. Uh, Helgi, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. I think for sure, you know, we got to do a post post mighty Gallatin uh, interview and we'll see if we can get, you know, some of the Sasquatters on with you. We'll get Maddie and Dougie to come. Maybe Dina will hop on, but uh, it'd be great to do like a recap after the event in a few weeks when it shakes out. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Uh, just want, also wanted to mention, uh, as far as the documentary goes, um, Matt Van Horn will be uh, the the filmmaker, the director on that, uh, and he did uh, Michael McKnight's uh, From Broken to Breaking uh, when he did the Colorado Trail FKT. He's an ultra runner, filmographer, and uh, we have uh, Tony Klein also who is doing, um, uh, kind of helping Matt out. So the two of them are going to be out there on the course uh, filming uh, in obviously in the designated areas that we've agreed upon with the Forest Service. But um, 
we're really excited to have those folks aboard and uh, we think that they're gonna just be a, play a key role in uh, sharing this story with everyone so it's awesome I can't wait for it it's gonna be it's gonna be really cool and then to have that documentary afterwards is gonna be a really neat thing for all of us so yeah Cool. Well, thank you, everybody. If you're tuning in live, this was great. We're going to post this on our podcast in a few days. And um, yeah, Mighty Mighty Gallatin kicks off here in a couple of weeks. I think we're under the 20-day mark with it uh, kicking off uh, in the beginning of September. So Helgi, thank you again for coming on and chatting with us. For sure. Thanks for having me. I, I hope everybody uh, joins in on the fun and follows us along. It'd be great. Awesome. All right, guys, until we see you again, keep it squatchy.